another Discworld novel, which once again features one of the more familiar characters of the Discworld, Samuel Vines. Mm -hmm. Sam Vines. Uh, he most decidedly doesn't save the world. What he does do is give the world time to save itself, which is very much more of a, a Discworld way of doing things. Sam Vines is not gifted with a huge intellect. It's absolutely right for Sam Vines. Trolls and dwarves and vampires. Discworld way of doing things. Vines finds himself in the same circumstances. And I really trust you. I've trusted you up till now. Discworld way of doing things. Hello and welcome to Who Watches the Watch, a podcast where we do a full read-through of the Watch Discworld series in preparation of the Watch television series coming out on BBC America at some point in 2020, perhaps. Uh, the aim of the podcast is to do a full read-through, one episode per book of, maybe, of the Watch series and then compare it to the television series as it comes out. Um, I'm Charlotte and with me are my other three hosts. <laughs> I'm Lucy. I'm Janusz. And I'm George. Hello, guys, and welcome <laughs> to the podcast. Yeah, this is. Uh, I'm so excited to finally talk to y'all about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm excited to record this for the first time. It's it's lovely yes. to be here as the most experienced podcaster of us all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is very invalid to have a podcast, um, and this is like, I don't know. But is it valid to have three? <laughs> <laughs> this is my third podcast, and it is Janos' also third podcast, yeah. and it's fine. It's fine to just keep making podcasts. It's it's like the one thing to keep me motivated to, uh, to be consistent in consuming media if I'm going to podcast about it afterwards. That is pretty much the same with me. It also means I'm far more likely to talk to people than I would otherwise. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> like, we make fun of celebrities starting, everyone starting their own, like, at-home podcast. But we're doing the same thing, except that we are valid, because they are rich, and we're not. Yeah, I mean, celebrities I suck. Like, we all saw that Imagine video. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing is, I think... If you're famous enough to be on the radio, you're not allowed to have a podcast. It's the democratic radio. Which means exactly. most of it is very bad. Un but ours isn't. Ours is good. Yeah, it's it's grassroots. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly my point. Grassroots content creation. I also mm -hmm. like just assume always the worst of other podcasters. So I was like thinking because... <laughs> There's probably gonna be like a dozen other Discord podcasts at this point, but they're all probably not valid. <laughs> oh, oh fully. The thing is, I just I just pretend any competing podcasts with mine don't exist. I just don't think about them. Don't listen to them. Don't acknowledge their existence. I just, it's it's just like how the you know more famous Song of Ice and Fire podcast sucks. So I, it's probably gonna be the same with Discord fans. Like they're just. They're either like really into the royals or something. <laughs> yeah, they're all probably done by like neocons. Yeah. Which is, this is the only good leftist Discworld podcast. We're the only ones who understand the uh, socialist undertones of Ankh Morborg. 
Exactly. Are we the, uh, the, the only podcast which is unafraid to say a cab, but apart from Simon Brimes? <laughs> the only good cop. Yeah. Yeah, I am excited to talk about Discord and cops. I think that's going to be an interesting conversation. Okay, but w- here's, a, here's a concept. Okay. And, like, stop me if you've heard of this, but imagine a city where crime is legal. <laughs> what? Well, that sounds crazy. Sounds pretty. In a city out, where cl- crime is legal, are maybe are maybe the cops the most discriminated minority? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, are you oppressed if you're a cop? Yes. Well, yes. You don't choose to be a cop. You you mm-hmm. when you pop out of the womb, you uh you've got your little badge pinned to your chest, and. Literally a cab assigned cop at birth. You're trying to arrest the nurse <laughs> or midwife or something. This is gonna be... I'm... When we get to guards, guards, this is like... It's kind of literally how it works, though. <laughs> <laughs> kind of, yeah. Well, I was just thinking, like, if they're gonna spin Ankh-Morpok as a city where crime has been legalised, why are there cops? Well, they're more <laughs> What's of a... What's the point? Initially, they're kind of a remnant... Um, and are becoming more and more irrelevant. But Vimes makes them relevant again by pursuing justice. Vimes says, what if we're detectives and there are mysteries? Yeah. Exactly. Like it's that. like, is, is this like, uh, I, I, I guess it's, because you're like Scooby-Doo podcasters, some of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think like, at least I know Charlotte likes like mystery stuff and detective books like is this like a like a thing you all are feeling how you hate cops but still like to read about detectives it's honestly probably (laughs) the worst thing about me is that i love detective stuff so much that i end up consuming a lot of cop or cop adjacent content Mm. which i think is very invalid of me and not very um not very marxist but it's fine (laughs) I try to. I avoid like straightforward propaganda, so I won't watch like NCIS oh, or anything like that. That's. I mean, it's probably also just not a good show. But like, yeah. I don't know. I maybe mean, we're gonna get into ideology later. But uh, yeah. I've been I've been thinking about this and like the. Well, not not thinking about it, but like I did a seminar on like, or had a seminar on like detective, uh, media, I guess. Yeah. And I decided to write my paper on ideology and I took Ace Attorney as an example of how that works. And it's kind of like a thing how uh, detective media is going to uh, validate the like structural violence of, uh, of cops by showing like a bad that needs to be defeated or that's like a wrong thing and the law is going to be yeah. there too to right the wrongs and I, I guess it's kind of like you know if you acknowledge that it's a fantasy thing you can still enjoy it yeah i think as long as the detective story isn't a i think non-cop detective stories are better mm-hmm. like yeah if it's, i was just thinking like i like, like really Sherlock enjoy Holmes. Like, yeah or i was thinking like poirot knives out and yeah <laughs> knives out yeah but that's He's of course so like knives from out. A, from a standpoint of ideology, that's also just like a bit of a sh- like a shifting of the of the goalposts because uh, people who write detective fiction are gonna know that people 
or like they that they are for an audience maybe doesn't like cops that much so they make the cops bad because they're like they're like i don't know the the cops in sherlock holmes or uh you know yeah. gumshoe in ace attorney mm. that like they're gonna be <laughs> yeah. incapable so the non-cop is gonna rise up to the challenge but the in the end it's like has has does it still has the same value yeah, anyway same we're going to get into that probably when we get <laughs> to the books i know i did want to mention like um disco in disco elysium you're a cop but the cops don't really have much structural power so it's almost like playing as a sort of weird disempowered version of a cop mm. um in this very weird system where there's a lot of other powers that you're almost competing against but yeah okay we'll yeah disco elysium like really challenges my uh perceptions of ideology which is why i'm like thinking if i want to write my masters on like ideology in detective games <laughs> because that's if you did i would have to read it i, I would have to write it in, in english then i'll just translate <laughs> it and like in google translate <laughs> and like, try and figure out what it's saying let's talk about this quote okay so did we all want to go through our experiences with this world like we did last time <laughs> yeah <laughs> last time what last time yeah we're not recording this a second time after the audio went wrong last time um okay so my experience with Discworld uh starts basically my family's really into it and both my grandmothers read a lot of it and my dad was really into it and i think both my brothers read it and then when i was about 11 I read Reaper Man and thought it was good and then I read the kids ones and then I kept reading it until I read all of them and then I read all the supplementary material and I read a bunch of his other non-Discworld books. That's Terry Pratchett, if we hadn't mentioned already. Like, um, yeah, like Nation. Um, And I read The Long Earth but didn't like it that much. Basically, I've read pretty much all of the Discworld material and I'm currently reading uh, Terry Pratchett's book of personal essays. And I know quite a lot about the school in general. So that's that's my experience. So would you say you're a super fan, Charlotte? Um, I used to be in a theatre group that did one Terry Pratchett play a year um, called Ook after the librarian. So I've I've dabbled. Yes, I... If I should start on mine, my uh, experience with Terry Pratchett, uh, I think I was thinking about it, and I, I think the first experience I had was being read um, The Amazing Morris with by <gasps> yes. my mum when I was I probably, I'm not sure how old, maybe like nine, ten, but as a kid, mm. and I... I haven't. I've only read reread it once since, but it's, the, the images in that book still stick with me. It was... Right. Yes, really dark for a children's book, like very good for kids. And he realized he realizes he's very he was a very good children's author as well as a as a sort of adult author. Yeah, like, and I think we like that book so much that my mum bought The Color of Magic as it was the first one in the series. And as many people have said, you read it first and you go, oh, th- this isn't very good. Um, <laughs> because it's it's not very good. The color of magic it 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 it's a, a bit too cynical. As I think I think Terry Pratchett said he thought it was a bit too cynical because it was written purely as a 
purely as a takedown of fantasy that he didn't like. Um, you can probably go a lot more into his ideas about fan fantasy, Charlotte. Um, but a couple of years later, I did try rereading, I believe, either The Color of Magic or maybe The Light Fantastic. Um, and I was, you know, I decided to give it another chance and quickly became obsessed and read the whole the whole series in in, in a few years uh, in my early teens and reread it. Uh, and then since I was about 19, I don't think I've only read it, read a couple of Terry Pratchett books since. Um, so I'm a bit of a lapsed fan, I think. Yeah, I think I'm I'm similar in that way. Like I've also I had a phase where I was very obsessed with uh, Terry Pratchett. Uh, I was like, so my first encounter with Terry Pratchett was when I read, uh, I don't know, third or fourth uh, Hitchhiker's Guidebook. And then I saw at the end of the book, uh, like an advertisement that was like, if you like Douglas Adams, you're going to love Terry Pratchett because he's the Douglas Adams of fantasy. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I can't, I, I can't not read that. I also saw that there's a ton of them. Uh, I was reading a lot as a child or as like the, as a teen. Mm. It was like my primary media before I got into anime, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it's the the fantasy to anime pipeline. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think, I think way, like, honestly, uh, Terry Pratchett was also my gateway into fantasy. I haven't read like I I read Harry Potter yeah. and. Uh, I read like some German. I read the Neverending Story, which is technically a fantasy book, but also just like a German's children's book classic. But like I never really yeah, got into good. the genre. And then I got, um, I think, Moving Pictures was the first one that I read, and mm. I, it was funny, but I started really getting into it when I read Reaper Man after that. Yeah. And then I became obsessed and uh, read everything we had in the library, in the German translations, which are, if I would look back to them, probably not very good. Uh, <laughs> some of them, like, I, I think most of them I still only read in German. Like, I, I shifted to English when I got, like, old enough to speak enough English that I understood them in English. Because he makes a lot of puns yeah. that I don't know yeah. if would translate super well. Yeah, I think they just like came up with new puns or something which is whatever some yeah. names were translated weird humor translates badly you just have to have another humor writer doing something yeah. in the same vein in a different language like asterix yeah asterix is wow i i like not to go on a tangent on a podcast but <laughs> <laughs> asterix came up when like a talk with americans who like didn't know about it my first reaction was, that's weird that people don't know Asterix. But then I'm like, I, I can't even recommend it because there's so much racist problematic stuff in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's I like remember Tintin, enough isn't about it? Asterix. It's just like incredibly racist. Oh, I'm the world's biggest Tintin apologist. Uh, <laughs> yes, my childhood comic books were Tintin and Asterix. And the yeah. Beano, which is a British one, is very different. Oh, uh, yeah. Tintin is like just just skip the the one where he's in Congo oh, and the one God. where he's in America. <laughs> and then like, the he'll be one, fine so for like, like the the yeah. rest is like a sign of the times, I guess. The Congo book, I think Erge was like basically 
the his publisher made him to write a book about how great uh, Belgium is doing in the Congo. Yes. And he regretted it for the rest of his life that he wrote that book. Anyway, yes. this quote. The reason why his portrayal of China is so sympathetic in the Chinese set ones yeah. is because he had a Chinese friend, I believe, who asked him not to be as racist as he had been towards the Congolese. Um, yeah, that's like, that's like the thing that like, like, genuinely like... learned over the course of his books. He's like, Dude. hey... Let's, let's hey man, right. could you not do what you did with the Congo book for the <laughs> one about my country? I'd I'd love that, bro. And then so he's, it's very very humanizing so towards the Chinese, but then the Japanese characters in it are the drawings are pretty. Uh, hmm, you know, yeah, a lot of back teeth That's and like everything. Another thing, Probably. like comics has has an awful history with uh, with stereotypical drawings of non-white races. I mean, you gonna... don't have oh, yeah, to tell me in Charlotte. We do a Scooby-Doo podcast. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember that episode, yeah. Yeah, awful um, stuff. It was very funny when we um, found that article from the time where that woman was like, wow, this is the kind of Fu Manchu stereotype that would have been like typical of like the 1940s mm. just in Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Yeah, in the seventies. It is always that so, people yeah. people now give it excuses by saying, "Oh, it's a, it's of its time." Oh no, it, it was totally racist at the you time. Go, they it's like Hollywood portrayals of black people. You go back in time, and and uh, organizations like the NAACP um, were they were criticizing it at the time as racist. They knew it was racist. It, it's just it was possible then because of the, how the power is distributed. Have you been listening to You Must Remember This Dude? Uh, yes. <laughs> A very good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, I should. Yeah, so, Lucy? Yeah, so uh, my Discworld experience is uh, kind of, yeah, it's pretty similar to George's, I would say. Like, I, my dad is really into them. Yeah. And he gave me The Color of Magic to read when I was, like, somewhere around 9 to 11. And I couldn't get into it. I never marked my page or as I was going back to the wrong section. <laughs> I didn't care about it. I mean, like, it's hard to read. He's not, like... I found it so hard to, like, visualize anything yeah. that was going on. Um, so I sort of abandoned that and was like, oh, I'll read this at some point. Um, and that some point is, like, now, <laughs> it turns out. So um, <laughs> since the start of this year, I've read the first seven yeah i've read the first seven discworld books because charlotte sort of encouraged me to get back into them well, i encourage everyone <laughs> and they're really I good spent my i spent my entire life trying to make my friends read terry pratchett and normally it doesn't yeah. work ash has at least two of my books <laughs> <laughs> i think because i started when i started trying to read them again this year i started with weird sisters instead which was the first witch's book yeah i, I loved that like that was so much better um, I think starting with the witches is normally a really good yeah. idea. Yeah. I think that they're just such good characters. I think uh, yeah. Mort is not a bad starting point, even though it's not the best death mm. book. Uh, and Guards, Guards? Guards, Guards is obviously a great starting point. I think... Mm. No, I just remembered, because I said, I said that Reaper Man was the one where I really got into it, but I think it was either Death yeah. or Small Guards, which is like... Small guides doesn't even belong to any of the main series, but that was like, ooh, this 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 man has like deeper thoughts. I'm convinced <laughs> that Small Gods is probably the best one. 
um or at least it's up there yeah it's like made not necessarily my favorite but it is probably the best it's one. actually quite a intelligent piece of like um theological writing because he's not like yeah. richard dawkins epic atheist he's like no. he's much more nuanced to it yeah yeah he, he, he's obviously not religious but he has respect for its power on people's lives yeah just yeah yeah he has an essay about that actually it's quite funny because um people were saying he said something in an interview that made people think he'd found jesus um, <laughs> when he'd uh when he'd been um obviously diagnosed with alzheimer's disease and he was saying he didn't find god but he was outside one day and there was like a sunset sort of thing and he was like this is the sort of space that people fill with a god but yeah he didn't find god himself he just sort of understands the urge to believe in things yeah i think he's also said things like how he thinks the old testament god is awful but like he appreciates the new testament yeah he likes the new testament which is he said he read the origin of species and thought it was better than the old testament which is like (laughs) the most dawkins shit but i used to be very into sort of new atheism when i was in my early teens as i think a lot of people were and then you start realizing, ooh, <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of people still banging that drum, uh, banging that drum for Islamophobia and all sorts of hateful shit. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. You you can be a secularist and you can be an atheist, uh, but you can still respect other people. Yeah, I'm just gonna like in those moments. I'm just gonna like when I when I see people be epic atheists. I'm just gonna like close my eyes and think of that Richard Dawkins tweet where he said uh, like he, it was like a tweet reply to someone where he said uh, what does BOFA mean? I googled it and it says <laughs> Bank of America but that can't be it Have you seen the one where That's he amazing. says amazing De- delighted that somebody on here thinks I'm a cum dungeon <laughs> There was also the one where he's like, I saw a dog giving another dog cunnilingus astonishing. <laughs> <laughs> he's just proof that you really can go online and just tweet whatever you want. Letting like old intellectuals um, and authors and basically any celebrity onto a public Twitter is... It's a bad idea. It was always a bad Basically, idea. Yeah. I think he tweeted I recently. I think in some cases it's really funny. Yeah. Like to watch them embarrass themselves. Yeah. I don't think a celebrity has ever said something funny online, but like unintentionally. I, I think of Vanessa Hudgens <laughs> uh, live streaming her thoughts about Coachella getting cancelled because of COVID and being like, yeah, some people will die, but that's like inevitable. I think that's so funny. <laughs> She's like, wow, I shouldn't be saying this probably. It's like, hmm, perhaps not. <laughs> Was it Richard Dawkins who tweeted like recently that uh, I don't think eugenics is ethically correct but it works oh yeah oh yeah Yeah, it's like in what way it's just like they'll just say whatever they want which it's it's living proof (laughs) that you can be like he's a fan he's a very good geneticist but you can also be a massive idiot and a very good scientist just because you're good at one thing it doesn't mean you're good at other things or have political awareness yeah, honestly, make all STEM students take humanities courses yeah, and at least yeah. like one philosophy course. Yeah, they need philosophy and history of science in there. I'm just saying, his philosophy and science used to be the same thing, and I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think STEM should be abolished. 
Let's just go. Let's just go back to like pre-science. I want to do alchemy again. I'll have you know, I have a bachelor of sciences, and I, they will not stand for this this bullying. Um, I'm doing a master's of, of my science, large brain. So... <laughs> uh, this is technically science that I'm doing. Museum science. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have the it's science. Real. It's a real science. The science of remembering a few things about Vikings and writing them in an exam. I was going to say, this is a very archaeologist-heavy podcast, I will say. There's a high archaeology saturation. Very sorry about that. That's, that's fine. <laughs> I'm going to bring in the like cultural studies perspective and media studies perspective. It's probably uh, more valuable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Look. Yes, we will just start talking about the agency of objects in the disc world, disc world if you let us talk long enough. <laughs> if I ever say the word object, you have to just shoot me before... <laughs> Before it goes any further. Right. Should we talk about okay, this great adaptation? Uh, yes. Yeah, so part of part of the impetus for starting this podcast was this new watch series um, that is being made or has been made. It's unclear. I'm not sure what the I updates are. I think it's are. done filming. We have because I've seen we have some thoughts. I've seen cast photos where it's like just the director and the whole cast hanging out, and it looked like people after they wrapped up filming. That's my game theory on this i think it's in <laughs> post production but who knows how long it takes until they insert all the great uh, visual effects good bbc <laughs> visual effects unit <laughs> yeah. yeah oh my god just like they did in uh his dark materials a great adaption which i have no issues with <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> uh, they did not have the budget for all the demons in that show like I know, so they just sort of left them out, which is the whole point of the series. <laughs> do they not have demons in the? Well, they do. They did, but, but like... they were just barely visible. Yeah, you'd have like a whole room full of people, and you'd see maybe one bird. All right, maybe. Here's um, a thought. And the bears fight, and they're not wearing their armor, and I will never forgive. Because <laughs> this is like an essential. Like I, I, I think I got this from uh, from the notable youtuber of uh folding ideas or dan olsen he did mm. like a video yeah. on the um earthsea adaptations a long while ago like before he got famous and he talked about this which i i think about a, a lot that uh the main issue with adaptation is that if you write a book from the same budget you can have a conversation set in a normal room yeah or in like the most fantastical world uh, so you can put do shit like uh, have something have something like write a book like Dune, which is like uh, yeah. d- d- deep, uh, some would say boring philosophical conversations <laughs> take place, but you also need a giant ass sandworm. So it's basically unadaptable. Yeah, but they're trying. Well, this is my um, this is my argument why his that material should have been in an an animated series because then you can even though obviously animation does take money but you can sort of do anything animation takes a huge budget and i i don't i don't know why this is not a thing in the west like in in japan there's like ton of anime that is an adaptation of something mostly manga but not necessarily also like you know books or book series or yeah they have like the lame is anime yeah what and why is it not a you know why is it not a thing here like why are they no we just don't have a tradition of like adult animation, really. That's not comedic. Yeah. 
I think it's it's thought of as childish. Sorry. Yeah, people think it's childish, or it has to be like the Simpsons, which mm. yeah, you know. I mean, there's like there's like some like the, I don't know if you all have seen uh, Midnight Gospel, but that's like I haven't watched I've it. Yet. Watched it's very episodes. adult in a way that's but still uh, incredibly uh, imaginative visually. Is that the one where it's? I think I I think I watched the first episode today. Mm. <laughs> it sounds like the way it's written is like a podcast. Yeah, it's That's basically it an adaptation sounds. of podcast conversations. <laughs> I'm not really sure yeah. I like Which it. Which I I like. It's creative. I liked the animation. Yeah, who's going to animate this? I didn't. I don't know. I didn't really like the conversations. <laughs> well, the two that I've watched. Yeah. Uh... They're like they're mixed bag the conversations themselves, but the the animations are great. But like my point was that this is that's like a very uh, very imaginatively done animation that is still like clearly one not aimed at children and two yeah. uh, also not purely comedic. Like the the showrunner is uh, is the one who created Adventure Time. Yes, uh, but like he did move on to. Uh, as much as I lo- I love Adventure Time, and that's like also one of the more mature uh, animation shows in the West. But that's also it also had like at least the safety puffer that it's still also supposed to be appealing to children. So he they got away with like still doing uh, deeper shit. Yeah. But I haven't seen I haven't seen like a Western adaptation of something that is animation and is on is done on a decent budget which would be ideal there's for this like, world but i guess there's no money in it there's, there's like a few 1980s animated versions of some discworld books so there's one of soul music mm. and one of the others and i can't remember which one they're not great yeah i've seen clips they're like interesting i've seen clips and i'm <laughs> doesn't look like they had much of a budget no no, there wasn't a budget. Um, I don't know how expensive... Was animation more expensive in the 80s or less expensive? I it was all probably more expensive it. before computer animation. It was all hand-drawn then, wasn't it? Yeah. The 80s was the birth of computer-animated stuff. I miss hand-drawn animation. It is beautiful. I, I really... You know, I don't watch anime all that much, but I've seen Ghost in the Shell and Akira and some other animes, and I, I, I do really like the aesthetic of the, the hand-drawn stuff i think yeah i like i i like the 90s anime aesthetic a lot like before that oh yeah no i do with the really like pointy faces (laughs) when did this become more beautiful than this 90s anime pointy face yeah like even even shows like uh berserk or trigon that clearly that didn't have quite as much of a budget it's still there's still like a charm to the hand-drawn animation that i'm yeah missing a bit of current anime anyway this is not an anime podcast (laughs) <laughs> not yet no. um, yes so we're talking about the watch tv series yeah we've there's some press releases out about it and we have some feelings mm. yeah so the history of this is that this was originally commissioned in like 2011 or 12 when they started planning this and like no disrespect to mr terry pratchett but like the I watched like that one video where he talks with people who are supposed to be in the writing room of the original concept. I don't think it would have been great. It would have probably been better than this. But it was still like, even at that point, it was supposed to be a procedural uh, 
yeah the whole conversation was like a bit i don't know they were just talking about how oh what a wonderful idea to make 13 episodes that are all that all have a beginning a middle and an end but there would also be an overarching series plot like they all acted if they had invented the concept of a television series (laughs) (laughs) what if there's 13 short episodes you know like not a movie length but like half a movie length (laughs) that would never been done before (laughs) (laughs) it's an innovation yeah i can't even uh conceptualize that idea because 13 episodes is like the traditional like british long form series length Mm. BBC normally is about six, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, if it was something a bit more high budget, so if it was, it's normally like kids shows, like Merlin or Doctor Who or something would be like 13 episodes. Uh, It's also like the American TV show standard, I guess. Well, those are like 23 episodes. Yes. Yeah, it's between... Too long. I think America's got less, like, workers' rights, which is why they can pump out so many episodes like i know the bbc like is crap but also like they do pay their writers well there's there's more there's more union roles for um for like crew in the uk there's not much union protection for crew members in the us for tv anyway yeah so anyway this has like shifted (laughs) a lot of hands since then like terry pratchett and his daughter were supposed to be involved originally but then he passed away uh, she's not involved with it anymore. Uh, Terry Jones was supposed to be attached to it, but he also died, like, and this he, uh, year or last year. Yes, this this, this year, I believe. And yeah. he's, he's, he'd been suffering from, I think, Alzheimer's as well, or some form of dementia. Yeah, so he probably dropped out of it, like, mm-hmm. a while ago. Yeah. It's, it's like, why that this has been in the well. planning for, like, eight years, and then this is what they came up with at the end. It is rare that something is in production for so long and then is good yeah. i think yeah <laughs> I, I guess with the exception of so much. Uh, of twin peaks the return that wasn't really in production was it just they only like, sort of came up yeah. with the idea that they were gonna do it again like a few years before yeah. um maybe something like mad max fury wrote that was in oh yeah that's a good example that good. development hell is what they yeah. call it isn't it yeah development hell yeah, have have you seen? I because I haven't seen it, but have you seen uh, the man who killed Don Quixote? No the final no, movie because no. that was also like such a legendary unmade movie or like cursed movie, and then he finally got to make it, and then everyone was like, "Yeah, it's whatever." <laughs> it's like the hype. The hype becomes too much after a while, and it collapses under its own yeah. pressure. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So they they decided on like a new showrunner in 2018 from what I can tell and here's the article on from BBC that says uh, BBC America commissioned BBC Studios to produce The Watch and it says new punk rock thriller is based on Sir Terry Pratchett's <laughs> Discworld novels <gasps> when I think of Discworld I think punk rock absolutely Sam Vimes has a mohawk and a, mm-hmm. and a safety pin <laughs> through his nose yeah <laughs> that your interpretation of punk george it, yeah it may be based on beano cartoons <laughs> punk several decades before then <laughs> i guess it's also like mm-hmm. a bit like code language of like publicity things that they call yeah, you wanna... something part punk rock if they know this is gonna create a fan backlash yeah 
I think I think this will create fan backing. It doesn't mean I'm gonna like it. <laughs> Do you think there's gonna be people who will like it? Yes, hundred percent. I can't you- tell. I think you see, we might be wrong, and there might it might somehow be really good, <laughs> and we were we were proven wrong the whole time. Um, I don't think that's gonna happen. This is true. We are. I I am very dumb. I might I might be wrong, but I think it's going to be bad. There's no way it's gonna be. Good. I, yeah, there's no way it's gonna be good. But I think I think that hasn't stopped people in the past. And the show that springs to mind is Sherlock. Um, and to be honest, like as much as I love Good Omens, the book, I don't think that the new adaption was. No, I don't great. like the new adaption very and, much. And I don't think people it was bad. go mad for it. But the like, thing but, is, yeah. like, the thing is that uh, the Good Omens adaptation played. So Super into like a certain kind of fandom that they were trying to attack attract. Yes. Super Hulok. Yeah. 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 Yeah, exactly. it was. <laughs> it was very much like the Tumblr crowd, which I don't mind them. But I think if you try and it was with anything, if you try and pander to a specific audience, often you just make a sort of bad version of what you're trying to make. Oh, but I think the super hulocks uh, are very easy to pander to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Which is why for them it was good, but for other people it was yeah. not as good. I have many issues with it. If you have homoerotic, sorry. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, but like they know. did it in the in the in the way where like no homo people are gonna pret- say that it's not gay, and people who want to see the gay in it will say it is gay. Yeah, it's queer baiting. Yes, it's, yeah. it's yeah. queer baiting. <laughs> Especially like. I think like Neil Gaiman has said for like literally decades that Zorophil and uh, Crowley aren't gay. They're just they're just pals. Yeah, he got super interesting on Tumblr about it. <laughs> yeah, I really like Neil Gaiman's books, but the more I learn about him, the less I want to learn about him. I, I'm. I mean, that's exactly yeah. I find same. that with like almost everybody. I try and not learn anything about any person. <laughs> I think like, like the more you know I, about people, yeah, the worse I it think is. Authors like, are the I, worst at that. I, yeah. Yes. Hundred percent. I don't know. Though I think I mean. even with in with music, like if I don't know what a like a singer looks like, I don't want to know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I hate it so much for for no reason I can understand really. Mm. Yeah, it's like um, with Neil Gaiman. I don't know because I used to only know him through like the introduction to Good Omens, um, and from his books. So I hadn't seen anything that he'd written like from a personal standpoint and I hadn't seen any of his social media but now I have and now I feel <laughs> uncomfortable with him and his wife his wife <laughs> what Amanda Palmer his lovely wife oh yeah his lovely wife let's, let's not talk about Amanda Palmer because then it's going to be a three hour episode I know <laughs> <laughs> This has yeah, been a slightly like... less focused episode than our last one. <laughs> Not that there was a last one. What last exactly. one? What? <laughs> the thing about Neil Gaiman is also that his voice comes through so clearly in his books. Like his, he, he has a distinctive voice so clearly that since I know what he's like as a person, I it feels it gets more difficult to enjoy his writing. Yeah, his personality starts to sort of cling to the words, yeah. and it's hard to separate them. Anyway, I I, w- I want to like read the beginning of this original announcement article because 
this this is gonna be like a through line through all of these press releases. It says on the heels of hit series Killing Eve and the introduction <laughs> of the first female doctor on Doctor Who. BBC America announced oh, today the green light of the new original scripted series, The Watch, based on Sir Terry Pratchett's wildly popular Discworld novels, etc. So, two things. One, Killing <laughs> Eve is like the one critically acclaimed show BBC America has. So mm. they're gonna boast that with like every... Yeah. They're gonna pretend it's the Killing Eve theme, uh, Killing Eve theme that makes this, which is not it's not and they're and they're so different like incredibly <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and i don't know what the doctor who thing means because doctor who is not a bbc america it means they are probably no it yeah. wasn't it it's literally just them being like oh you saw something vaguely progressive that the bbc has done uh-huh. now look use all the goodwill you could have mustered for that and <laughs> and transfer it into your newfound yeah. love for this upcoming Not to complain about name recognition it doesn't mean anything trying to get a larger They're audience from Americans a female doctor 50 something years into the show's existence and then claim that it's an epic win for feminism but like still have a male uh, showrunner and uh, you know the news feminism is when women do yeah. things <laughs> when there's more women <laughs> every it's more time feminist. i uh-huh. every time i like wait three days before showering i'm like wow <laughs> this is a win for feminism <laughs> <laughs> because like i'm a woman you can't tell me to brush my teeth <laughs> Look, I haven't talked to a real woman in a woman in real life for weeks. That's that's that means I'm a misogynist. I mean, I wasn't gonna say. Mm. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna read just one more of this original uh, announcement. Okay, because it's this is like what they announced the show to be in October 2018. The Watch is a punk rock thriller inspired by the legendary City Watch subset of Discworld novels. This disruptive, character-driven thriller centers on Terry Pratchett's misfit cops as they fight to save a ramshackle city of normalized wrongness from both the past and future in a perilous quest. Modern and inclusive, The Watch features many famous <laughs> Discworld creations including City Watch Captain Sam Vimes, The Last Sign of Nobility Lady Sybil Ramkin, The Naive but Heroic Carrot, The Mysterious Angua and the ingenious non-binary forensics expert Cheery, together with Terry Pratchett's iconic characterization of death. Uh, this is the last time we're gonna hear about death, except like the one tweet that the showrunner made. So we yeah. still don't know who or how they're gonna do death even. Death in the I... books is too twee for what this adaption is trying to be, I think. Skeleton in a black coat yeah. isn't cool. Yeah. And I think I think all of this speaks to me. They are trying to make it cool, which doesn't. They're trying to make it epic. <laughs> inspire confidence in their ability to adapt material. I know they're probably not the one. The, the showrunners aren't the ones writing the press release, but they're definitely trying to yeah. make it seem like it's not lame or nerdy or anything. It's yeah. Strikes me I think as, that's it's, definitely that's definitely what is like sticking out is this idea that it's not some sort of nerdy fantasy thing but it's some cool cyberpunk yeah thing. and I, I but i don't know why they feel they need to do that because like fantasy isn't 
like fantasy is in the mainstream now. Fantasy like is the mainstream. So the impulse to like take fantasy out of the press releases and make it seem like cyberpunk and cool doesn't make sense to me. The fantasy that is in the mainstream is like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Or, you know, the Marvel movies. Yes. What nerdiness is kind of, it doesn't really mean anything now. People say, oh, I'm a nerd. I like Marvel movies. And as many people have observed, it's, you know, they're the highest grossing films in the world. It does nerdiness implies some kind of otherness, some kind of uh, sort of lower social status, almost sort of it's a sort of shame associated with it. Um, yeah, those those things like both the Marvel movies and Game of Thrones all play down like the dorkier aspects of their source material. I think, mm. and both yeah. like, and by that I also mean like the more imaginative or the more. Uh, interesting aspects of them yeah i I would say nerdiness as a concept has definitely become about brand recognition yes Yes. you buy funko pops Uh, yeah Yeah. it's about buy buy an identity i I can't wait uh, for spend money for the watch funko pops (laughs) do you know i know somebody who owns like 80 funko pops oh my god why i asked her about it and she was like oh but they big mouth (laughs) because <laughs> I asked her about why she owns so many and she's like oh you know they only increase in value and I was there like <laughs> okay I should say um, my friend my friend Steph and her boyfriend they have um, I went to their apartment and it's really really awful sorry Steph if you're listening uh, but they've got all these like anime posters <laughs> and these big like like models of things and they've got just this shelf full of Funko Pops and they've got like a Jon Snow Funko Pop <laughs> Um, and all these Game of Great. Thrones Funko Pops, but some of them are collector's editions, which are now worth uh, a significant amount of money. So maybe there is truth in that. Bizarre. Yeah, I know. <laughs> They're really ugly. They're very so nasty-looking things. It's like I think Funko Pop is like kind of a metaphor for what culture is like these days. Art is a consumable <laughs> yes. thing. Yeah, they all need to be. Yeah. It's yeah. like it's like McDonald's hamburgers. Like they need to be uniform they all need to have the exact same aesthetic uh just like with different wigs and different costumes they're wearing yeah they're just like big lego men yeah yeah and the aesthetics are so boring as well up until fairly recently think of the marvel movies um and particularly the dc movies they were all quite monotone marvel was always more colorful but until thor ragnarok which taika Waititi is sort of actual you know, quite a sort of imaginative person. Um, sort of all the colours that he put into that film and taking back in all the silly stuff uh, made a far better Marvel film than anyone mm. else has ever made. I wish um, Taika Waititi had gotten to make this. Ooh, Taika Waititi doing a Terry Pratchett thing could be pretty good. That sort of feels right. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a similar sort of humour. Yes. Well, I just think about how good what we do in the shadows is. So like, good. yeah, yeah, both do like that is very, uh, very Pratchett embrace as well. fantasy well, yeah. cliches, but also make fun of them in a way that's yeah, yeah. I mean, all the all like all the va- the vamp when vampires are in in Discworld books, the the jokes are very similar. I haven't met any vampires yeah. yet. I'm not far along enough in the series. Oh, it's going to be great! Excited. It's, it's all hammer horror, like hammer horror jokes. 
It's very good. Except for in Cape Juggalin, where they represent the rich. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is one of that's the sort of leftist reading of vampires, isn't it? Uh, people also yeah. associate them with landlords. It. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fox <laughs> explicitly called capitalist capital of vampire, didn't he? I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we talked about this. Oh, that's that's a weird reading of vampires because uh, we talked about this on on my Sophia Stevens podcast uh, where we talked about <laughs> zombies. That like zombies and vampires are like. Uh, Zombies are like the nightmares of a leftist. That it's like, you know, consumerism, uh, people like the Dawn of the Red is, is set like in a shopping center. And it's like the fear of mindless masses controlled by, you know, just baseless, like base- a, a need to consume. Yeah, a need to consume, exactly. Yeah. And vampires, on the other hand, are more like the nightmares of a conservative person because they're like about lust yeah yes, i mean I've i think there's there's so many ways to read them like because originally they were intended to be like a metaphor for the foreigner or yeah, just yeah, for, that's yeah. also just like for sex sort of sexually like... transmitted disease people have compared it to and a sort of yeah yeah aversion to dirt and associating that with foreignness but then you often have them as aristocracy who then feed at night on, like, the peasant population. Lads, does anyone think that <laughs> art might be subjective? Hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe different interpretations of, of the same archetypes exist, yeah, depending on the writer and the I've, time where they were written. Yeah. I've always, um, I've always thought of zombie fiction, the popularity of it in modern times, I've always thought of it in a rather, particularly American zombie fiction, in a rather um, right-wing sense. It, yeah, like... Oh, cast. it has become it has become that with The Walking Dead, I mm. think. Um, yeah, because it's like survivalism, but only through the individual. It is. It, yeah. it represents the fantasy yeah, of violence and um, rugged individualism and success over everyone else through your mm. exceptional ability, usually, to shoot things. Or yeah, big yeah I do think it was like very different in in like the George Romero uh, zombie movies. Like he was he was much more political in like a left leaning mm. way. But like with The Walking Dead, it really went into like a redneck fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because I I was thinking about it. you could see zombies almost as like a fear of the unwashed masses coming for yeah. you. And a fear of society in like, general. D- dirty and dirty and diseased underclass. Yeah. Mm. If um, we ever get to like talk about the non-watch books, we'll have to return <laughs> to this when we talk about Reaper Man. Oh, the zombies! Red hey. shoe. Ah, oh, red shoe. He's in. He's he in is. the one. Right. Shoe. Okay, yes. so we'll return to zombies. We'll return to vampires. Uh, he's just. A- uh-huh. This I is think all, this is all also in up. the tweet that uh, Simon Allen, I think, the guy who got the show, made, he also mentioned vampires. Yeah, well, there's Sally, who's a vampire, and she's in third? She's coming mm. in third. Yeah. I don't remember exactly, but... Yeah, because Simon Allen made a tweet where he tweeted, like, the four uh, publicity photos that are available... 
Anti-Roll. Marginalized Cops, Imps, Vampires, Werewolves, Iconographs, Dragons, Dwarves of all shapes and sizes. Igors, Goblins, Trolls, Death, Ancient Entities, Eternal Enemies, Love, Hope, Destiny, Multiverses, Rock Bands and Wigs. Lots of Wigs. Hashtag The Watch. What the fuck does this mean? It's really funny because he's putting marginalized cops <laughs> in the same like uh, space as uh, other such creatures. <laughs> like they're both <laughs> fake, it's true. famously marginalized cops. The creatures known as cops. <laughs> yeah, I mean to be fair, marginalized cops are mythical, yeah. so it's like <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> That's really good. It's unintentional, but it's great. <laughs> but the thing is, like these cast photos that he tweeted out, uh, they're just like a weird cyberpunk vaguely like harry potter inspired vaguely looking like crappy doctor who episodes yeah they do look like doctor who episodes in a lot of the 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 one hint that something fantastical is going on is like the image where a man inexplicably is set on fire and i have no idea what's going on in that image is he coming out of the grate or going into it i can't tell I don't know. I think he's going in, but he looks like he's flying out of it. <laughs> it's not a good photo. <laughs> it's also like in that photo, the uh, actor who I think is playing Sibyl is standing there and like staring at him intently. And I have no idea if she's like into it. I think she's making it happen. It does look like it. With her mind. I don't I don't know what her character is, so I have no idea. That's how I, uh, somebody with no knowledge of this, like... I'm interpreting it like it looks like she set him on fire with her mind. That's how it looks. Well, she's a badass vigilante. Okay. Now. Yeah. Let's talk about about yeah. some of the red flags about the characters. Yeah. Okay. So I love Sib- Lady Sybil as a character. She is um, she is a noble lady, and she is bred to be large and move like a boat through a crowd because she's very you know upper crusty. She breeds dragons for a living because she likes them um she's in her 40s and she's giving up given up all hope of marriage uh but in this she's like a vigilante who's like thin Mm. and Mm. young she's like half the age of uh of sam who is played by yeah from game of thrones (laughs) (laughs) Uh, mm, you love to see it you do love to see it. It's a very, like, Hollywood decision. I mean, obviously. But, I don't know. Because with this, it's trying to be... From the outside, it's, like, trying to be very, like, progressive in that way that TV series mm-hmm. try to do. Yeah, veterinary is not a girl necessarily boss about, now. Yeah, it's not necessarily <laughs> about actual, like, political liberation or talking about that sort of stuff in a material sense. It's actually just saying representation is pretty much the whole thing and then after that that's that's us done look how great yeah, we are we're gonna reduce like one of the uh, best woman characters in this world into like a very into a very like Stephen moffat woman mm. she's badass yes. like to me yes yeah she's a badass fight woman rather than an interesting character with her own personality and her own stuff yeah. going on <laughs> yeah i mean and how many, how many, um, in sort of popular TV fiction, you don't get to see sort of middle-aged people, normal-looking middle-aged people, who are sort of, Sybil's fairly, she's unremarkable, and that's 
why she's a good character. Not, not exactly unremarkable, but she's, you know, she's not she's not some badass. She's she's strong-willed and intelligent and like feisty, um, and she's she's great. But like she's not she's not a badass. She doesn't kill people. She doesn't fight. Yeah, she's not epic. Yeah. No, she's not epic. And, like, why? Why do women have to compete with what sort of you know that's sort of traditionally seen as a man's role in media to be sort of strong, fighty? And well, it's this. Is it feminist Sorry. to to just make make a female character fit into a traditionally male role? Like, it can be, but it's not intrinsically, surely. I mean, don't Allowing... make it. Don't make it to the detriment of like. A more interesting character is the yeah, allowing it. Yeah, they could have had another character like that and just they not have done that. I mean, and, they, they don't Gwyr- have to because there are so many good female characters there's, in there's the watch. in the watch. Yeah, yeah Angua is, yeah. is is well, she's a werewolf. <laughs> she spoiler fight and oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> but um, I I don't know if you have to box people into this sort of very specific way of being badass, epic. You're not actually allowing a better representation of women on screen. No. No, it's just like that whole like fight like a girl kind of lib feminism stuff that like hasn't worked in any meaningful way. Yeah. 90s feminism. And it's, it's always very annoying. The characters are never interesting. I mean, maybe occasionally, but they've in this very, especially in this fantasy way, they're very rarely like interesting characters. They just fight women, say sassy yeah. line, and it's very Remember annoying. Remember when like, Joss Whedon was celebrated as a feminist? <laughs> 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 like Buffy's got some good bits, but it's ninth. It's not like yeah, it's I aged. Li- I like Buffy, but it has also like ruined television forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it kind of did. Joss Whedon murdered writing. Yeah. Unfortunately, he, he murdered TV writing. He murdered dialogue. For that, I will never forgive Joss? him. Joss? Yes, exactly. Joss Whedon walked so that Stephen Moffat could run. <laughs> Stephen Moffat was That's already so... crawling at that point. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's so accurate, and I hate it. <laughs> Very sorry. <laughs> There's nothing with Joss Whedon stuff where he just loves wayfish women who can fight good, and that's in like almost all of his series. They're all so skinny! I'm so. <laughs> They're all so skinny. I'm like sick of it. Of course they are. <laughs> I know this has like been said a thousand times, but I'm so sick of really skinny women. Oh, I don't know. Let's, Maybe that's reductive. No, you're large. totally right. Like, there's. No, it name is. Me, name one not skinny woman that plays like a major role in. A, property of media from the last decade whose uh, fatness is not used as a joke can't think of any yeah neither (laughs) women can't be fat right there's like every once in a while there's like one because most of melissa mccarthy's roles are that that the fatness is the joke and every once in a while she gets to play a role where where it's where it's not that it's like once out of like 15 projects she gets yes or rebel wilson or someone like that same thing yeah exactly and it's it's very it's very weird because like 
Melissa McCarthy's one of her early roles was on Gilmore yeah. Girls, which is like one of the only roles she's had where it's pretty much not at all about the fact yeah, that she's was, a Yeah, that was that was gonna woman. be like and my one sort of got worse. Yeah, and then it's got worse as time's gone on. But what if? Okay, here's a here's a here's a suggestion. So these like these changes, obviously, like not a big family. Maybe that maybe they're gonna make up for it by making cut me own throat dibbler into a woman. Oh, I hate this. <laughs> cutting my own throat dibbler. Yeah, cutting me own throat. Uh, cutting me own throat dibbler is. It's that sort of archetype of the the market man in the market trying to sell you dodgy watches. I mean, in this in this uh, occasion, it's um a hundred percent meat pies. They're real meat. I mean, you could have a female character who is very similar to that archetype. Um, I don't know. It's just a really weird choice. It's almost like they're just searching for peripheral yeah. characters that they can make women for for happy for like progressive points rather than actually meaningfully thinking about what it means for a character yeah, yeah exactly yeah like the same word like i think like veterinary as a woman sure it's gonna work like making it it works just like how making judy dench play m in james bond also worked for the character she was great but it's like in, in the grand scheme of things it's just like an empty gesture at this point yeah, it's like it could work for the character, but it's not yeah, feminism. Exactly. That's not. What I think it is. a lot of it is marketing, casting is marketing. Yes. Yeah, because yeah, if you if you change characters around, then it's that whole like outrage marketing thing where people on Reddit are inevitably going to be like, "This is awful," but at the same oh time, God, they yeah. are promoting the show just by talking. Exactly, about it. it's that wonderful <laughs> hate. I guess like what we're doing about um about work brands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's then then you can sort of people who see themselves as progressive can be like, I'm going to go against it and deliberately watch it so I can be different to these people. Yeah. And then it still ends up being meaningless. Yeah, it's, and it's all just... It's really so calculated that they know that it's going to be an outrage. Or like people are... That, that like the the bad kind of people are going to be outraged about it. So we are not about to... Not allowed to be outraged about every other decision Criticize they're it. making. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. God... But on this on this podcast, we're allowed to be as outraged as we want. <laughs> oh, and we will be. We yes. Oh, I I found a good take on replying to the showrunners' Twitter pictures. So excited for this interpretive rather than dully liter- literalist take. I think the mass audience is ready for Discworld in the way it was ready for Game of Thrones post Lord of the Rings. If that show was sold as The Sopranos in Middle Earth, the world is now ready for The Wire in King's Landing. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> I'd watch The Wiring King's Did Landing. Did someone working on the show wrote that? Um, no. <laughs> I've not, as far as I can tell. That sounds like a plan. I just... It does, doesn't it? That's such a weird See, the take. Th- the thing is, I don't like like completely literal adaptions no. either. No, they don't I work. Think is what... One of the things with Good Omens was it was maybe a bit too literal. Um, while at the same time, changing things that I found annoying. I don't know. But, I don't know. This isn't what I want from this. Mm. Yes, well, you have to change You have to change things for a, for the different medium. It's it, You can't yeah. just do a purely literal adaption. But, 
that doesn't mean you should change everything or that all the changes you do are going to be good ones. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'm going to say that Hogfather is the best adaption. Um, I just think it gets the tone so right. And a lot of the costuming and the casting is just so good um, that, you know, if it was like that, but the watch, then I think that would be good. It needs to look goofy is the thing. Yeah, it has to look goofy. It's really goofy. The wizards are goofy. They've got pointy sequin hats. Like, how do you do that in a gritty Game of Thrones way? You can't. Well, oh, but it's cool now. So they'll have they'll have muted tone hats that are like maybe suggestive <laughs> of a pointy hat, but uh, but not actually a pointy hat. And their stars will not have a knob on the end, and that is making me very angry. <laughs> if you look at these pictures like everyone is looking is having the same serious expression on their faces yes it's yeah and as we've all said it looks like star wars kind of something yeah. looks yeah. like a weird cross between harry potter star wars and every bbc costume thing you've ever seen yeah but it doesn't look like the good star wars movies it looks like rogue one <laughs> <laughs> Do you think there was a point after Star Wars where literally every character became Han Solo? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz he's he's cool. Like he's just that kind of cool guy, but he does care and I think people miss the bit where he cares. Yeah. The sort of cynical, the cynical like reluctant hero thing. Yeah. People. Which works so yeah, well as a trope. It doesn't work if everyone's that. Yeah, exactly. It's like when people try and play D&D as like a lone wolf character. You can't have a oh, cooperative so party full of lone wolves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I think in this one, everyone is just going to be epic. That's the thing. Vimes is just going to yeah. be like his, I think his like smoking in the one picture that's where he's shown. Um, Was he smoking a cigar? Yeah, he's got the butt of a cigar in his mouth, I think. I am so interested about how they're going to tackle his alcoholism. Yeah. They're either not going to address it at all. Uh, I I could even see them making him a cool drunk character. Yeah. I think it's likely. Yeah. Because uh, it makes him more epic. They want they want like backlit pictures of him uh, sipping whiskey at a bar, and then he'll turn around and say something cool. God. Not yeah, like they're that not gonna nerdy Pratchett writing. Not gonna happen where he's like, where he's like saying the super embarrassing shit while being drunk or like, you know, being not. Uh... The fact that it's like ruining. Yeah, his life. Pratchett's very raw about it. Everything. You know, he, he, I think doesn't he wake up his own piss and stuff like yeah. that? Or like it's it's yeah. a horrible affliction, which is what it is. <laughs> you know, as you say with all the uh, sort of reluctant hero thing you have to make them sort of gritty imperfect and damaged and they sort of glorify the damage uh, as an aesthetic yeah. instead of treating it as this character hurting mm. yeah and I think for Vimes because he has his moments in the books where he is like epic but it's normally when he's really caring about something or he's choosing not to drink and stuff yeah. like that. Um, he has loads of epic moments, and they're great. Him overcoming, overcoming himself often. Yeah, yeah. Like Vimes is a Vimes is a great character, and I, I'm so convinced they're gonna turn him into a cliche. 
or like yeah. something we've seen a thousand times. Like also, just like having seen this guy on Game of Thrones, I think he's just gonna be the same. Probably. <laughs> I honestly have no memory of Beric on Game of Thrones because I stopped after season four. Oh, there's so much good shit you um, haven't seen. I I did watch I did watch season eight with Pigot Chat, but I didn't see the intervening. Season. You saw season eight with us, and we all screamed at it. That was great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. I I want to talk about Game of Thrones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, they also like to to like address like another red flag for me is that it seems like they're cutting all the funny characters. There's no Nobby, there's no Colon, there's no Detritus. Again, missing the entire point of the humor of the scene. They're meant to be like, you know, those police people or those guards who are sort of useless. Because the whole thing, the whole idea of the watch came from him reading fantasy books, and there's always like the watch who run in and are immediately killed. Yeah, I'm always and having he was them like, in what my campaigns. What if I did a story about them? <laughs> yeah, it's like what if they're people and they have a story where they don't want to die? Yeah. Mm. They're not just props to show how evil the villain is or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think Nobby and Colon really represent that sort of watch character and i think cutting them is just really wrong it's missing the entire point yeah it is because well, in the in the press yeah. release they were like yeah we're gonna undercut it with humor as if the source material undercut doesn't have what? any like yeah just reading terry Pratch and being like this is too serious um <laughs> we're gonna make jokes in this it's gonna be right. primarily think, humor <laughs> i think you're you are missing the uh brain genius levels of of how they are going to do this, which is first take out all of the humor (laughs) and then, like, inject back their own, like, uh, shitty jokes that are, like, still, like, more, like, epic one-liners, probably. Like, I think that's the extent of humor that they're gonna have. Yeah, it's gonna have, like, Tony Stark disease where they he doesn't say anything except, like, epic one-liners to people and there's no conversation, which is the same exact thing Game of Thrones did, where no character ever had a conversation. They just said things at each other (laughs) and then walked off. Yeah, it's gonna be they undercut it with humor in the way they undercut Game of Thrones with funny brawn jokes. Oh, it's all about cops or something. Very funny. I mean, it's objectively funny in how bad it is, but it's also not funny within the film, like the, the piece of media itself. I I know I'm just like imagining scenarios and how they can do this badly now, but mm-hmm. do you think if they adapt Thud into this, do you think when when he's infected by the uh, the is it the following dark, the summoning dark? Spoilers. Oh. Oh, yeah, sorry. Lucy hasn't hasn't read that. Oh yeah, cover your ears, Lucy. <laughs> Okay, I'll take my earphones out. You can. Well, I'm going to listen to this afterwards. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> this spoiler probably won't mean anything to you, anyways. Yeah. yeah, I don't know what you were talking about. Okay, shall I continue or not? You can. Just talk about I'm it. I'm going to talk about Nightwatch <laughs> after that, so go on. They're going to make all of the violence that it causes cool. It, I get. Oh, I see. Yeah. And, it, and it's not. It's something deeply disturbing. Because Vimes is not a violent man. Like, he doesn't like it. 
he will he like he does he does fight but he doesn't he doesn't relish fighting so much it, especially not killing actually no he does he does quite like fighting <laughs> so he has like a dark version of himself that does almost relish the fighting and wants to hurt people and part of what makes him him is that he keeps it like locked up inside himself yes he has he does have a bestial rage but he doesn't like it yeah i need to reread but you see the thing is that's not epic <laughs> epic it's kill so epic i'm so excited that's kind of sad <laughs> finally a tv show where people are epic <laughs> You know, we've really been missing some epic TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was gonna b- mention like Nightwatch for a second because they have like they have taken some characters from Nightwatch. You know, like, wh- yeah, what I do saw. you think how they're gonna do it? Like they have. Uh, let me find the part in the statement where they, uh, where they do the. Say the thing here, uh, Hakim Kai Kazim. Uh, stars as Captain John Keel, former leader of the Watch and mentor to Sam Vimes, determined to save the corrupt and chaotic city. Yeah. But. But. but <laughs> big but. <laughs> but how can he be John Keel? I don't know. I'm not going to spoil. I, I feel gonna... I feel bad. I feel okay. like you guys should just say stuff yeah. because at the end of the day, like I'm gonna read them. It's fine. Yeah, Vimes yeah, is and, Okay, so so Vimes is John Keel, who goes back in time and he mentors himself as a young mm. man. And um, Keel dies. The real. So Keel. how can? So how's that gonna work? Is he gonna like? What's that thing where you that guy goes into different people's bodies? What's yeah. that called? Oh, I think I think they just took the name. Yeah, because this actor who okay. plays is it going to be flashbacks? If it's just flashbacks, I'm going to be oh. so not angry. to be not to be uh, problematic, but this actor who, who uh, is set to play John Keel is black. Yes, they're not. No one's going to mistake. Um, no one's going to mistake Vines for John Keel. Yeah. So are they just not doing Nightwatch? Maybe. But they also have. They got Carcer as well. They have Carcer as well, who is wronged and uh, wounded and mm. is <laughs> there to bring justice mm-hmm. to Famously. the city. I think they're just they just took mm. some names from a list of characters that appear in the Watch series and just wrote their own, made up their own stories about them. What if it's just a normal like police procedural, just with the same names as the watch characters i think that's gonna be it like there's gonna be like some references yeah. they uh obvious like angwa is probably gonna be a werewolf uh they mentioned that uh fucking carrot was brought up by dwarves in the press release although i'm gonna i'm gonna interject one thing here uh the actor who plays uh cheery is like the tallest of all of them. Yes, and they look they look very tall. Yeah, and in this in this photo they don't look like they did a, a Lord of the Rings Hobbit thing. So how is like the how they, how are they gonna play the thing of how Carrot obviously isn't a dwarf but he himself doesn't even realize it? If dwarfs are like normal sized in this world. 
You know, like in not, I guess. You know, like in the movie Elf, where he's <laughs> like adopted by the tiny little elves, yeah. but he's a human man yeah. and he's just bigger. Is it that? Yep. Yes. Oh, and then Will Ferrell do a cameo and it'd be funny. <laughs> that would genuinely improve this. <laughs> it would be funny, at least, probably. Yeah. <laughs> like, in a slapstick way, which I don't think this sh- show is going to have, looking at it. Yeah. Yeah, slapstick. yeah, yeah. Like, if it's, like, fucking uh, Adam Sandler, Will Ferrell, uh, slapstick, fart humor, that would still be, like, closer to the spirit of Terry Pratchett than if it's, like, Grim Dark. Yeah, exactly. What... A- what it is, it's like someone's taken something that is very British and has a lot of very Britishy humor, and then being like, "What if Americans made it and it appeals to Americans instead?" Yeah. <laughs> Irony and satire and silliness. Yeah, because it is very silly. It that's the whole yeah. point. Is that it's not like some sort of a lot of the jokes aren't these deep intellectual, like witty moments. They're just very dumb jokes, which yeah, are very like funny. Yeah, like the fact that the dwarves. Uh, the, the stone of the scone of stone is it the scone of stone or just the scone of scone yeah the scone of stone, stone which uh, is just a it's just a british history joke and the fact that the yeah. dwarves are obsessed with incredibly hard dangerous bread or pastry product yeah. <laughs> they have crass on boomerangs that kill people <laughs> it's very silly <laughs> i love this book <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to talk about it and uh, the way it's not gonna be relevant to the show at all. Like, I think they're gonna pull a bit f- from what it seems, like from the list of characters that are gonna appear on it, because uh, Lupin once is also in it. Um, and you know, Sybil is Sybil Remkin at this point. It looks like they're gonna like take parts of Guards Guards and parts of Nightwatch. Oh, what if Carcer's yeah, Carcer is going to be Dragon King of Arms, isn't he? But once is in it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sad that there is no fifth element. There is no fifth I love, elephant. I love stuff. the fifth element. So good. Because that that takes place in. No, there's, they're they're not going to do um, anything outside of like Morpork, which is understandable for one season of television. Yeah, yeah, mm. just like that. Yeah, one. Oh, it's very good. <laughs> But then, but then Thud, Thud also takes place significantly outside of Ankh-Morpork. Do you think it's even going to be on Discord? Is there going to be... <laughs> Do you think they're actually going to mention that it's yeah. a disc? <laughs> they better zoom in from space to the turtle. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. Do you think Vimes is going to turn to the camera and be like, God, is it real? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but pe- if people say gods aren't real in Discworld, they get they get struck by lightning almost instantly. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. the gods are real. Very real. <laughs> That's like the point like, of fantasy. They're real and they're annoying. God. Because I'm just I'm just looking at the the photos and like they've got like electricity and bunting and metal stools at the bars and I just like I, I don't think that this picture is set from inside the Mended Drum but it's not how I pictured it like mm. in the slightest you know you think of the Mended Drum and I think of like the oldest grossest British pub you could get mm. yeah and it's all wood and it stinks and it just what they've got here looks like a market in like the poshest parts of Camden maybe if you were trying to yeah. <laughs> it does look like a Camden market. it does 
Everything looks... This, they're wearing just what normal people would wear in a Camden market as well. This is just what it looks like now. Everything looks yeah. weirdly clean and weirdly dirty at the same time. Yeah, it's because it's, it's fake like dirt. Yeah, it's eyeliner. And Ang Warport yeah. needs some dirt. It needs dirt. I'm interested to see the river and how the river looks. <laughs> it's often solid. <laughs> Semi-solid. Yeah, because it's like the grossest river mm, you can Looking imagine. at these pictures, and I have another question for you, like... Most of those who have read the who have read uh, Men at Arms, but like there's this picture of Carcer and these two people next to him. I don't know if one of them is supposed to be a golem or not, but they look like they look like fucking sci-fi robots. They look very very Star Wars. They look very Star Warsy. Do you all think that they're gonna try to adapt Men at Arms? I mean, it's it would be the easiest one to yeah. adapt, probably. But also, and would would the it's a very anti-gun book. Would that mm-hmm. really fly with Americans? That that was my question to gonna be yeah. Like Vimes intentionally destroys the only gun in the world because he hates it so much, and it it like has a it has a psychic has power over people that makes them kill because it's easy. Yeah, which is a very very radical yeah. like. Uh, easy to understand anti-gun message which in my opinion like it because they, they keep mentioning that this, sh- this show is going to be uniquely anarchic and but like terry Pratchett's philosophy isn't uh, like isn't anarchy. anarchic no he has Lots like of very love guns yeah he has like very clear like humanist ideas uh humanist left-leaning ideas and He's yeah. not an anarchist. Oh. He does occasionally veer into a kind of libertarianism, but mostly he doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's not an authoritarian, but he's not an anarchist. Oh no, he hates authority. He definitely hates yes. authority. Which is good. I just I always relish Vimes. He's a poor he's a poor working class lad who's sort of made good. Um yeah. Always in him just ragging on all of the uh, all of the aristocrats and how like useless and horrible they all are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, do we have anything else to say? Because we've been recording for like an hour and a half. Mm. You mentioned you mentioned humanism, and I know I, I know you. I know no, I know I mentioned that a lot last time. And I haven't mentioned it, but I think. I don't know. I don't know if they'll be able to carry through that spirit of humanism that, that Pratchett's work has, where is, almost almost everyone is. You know, they they might be car- cartoons, but they're not evil. They're not black and white. Yeah. No one exists in a black and white world, and like they everyone's a person and is sort of willing, like worthy of respect. The it and it's sort of deep respect for life. And the value of life that that it has, and I can't tell if they're going to be able. Yeah, to that's the thing. Like, I think as much as Pratchett does like satirical stuff a lot, there's also like these clear, earnest moments that come through. Like the way uh, mm. the love stories in these books yeah. uh, resolve, and like the, the thing you mentioned about the humanist statement. And I can't imagine this show to be like actually like war to war. Earnest, like I can't imagine them having like real earnest character moments. Yeah, I'd be interested to see them try. I am 
curious how they're going to try and tackle it, I think. Yeah. So next week, or next time, we're going to be talking about Guards Guards, which is the first in the Watch series. Which is going to be fun, because I like Guards Guards. It's got dragons in. (laughs) So until then, thank you for listening. Uh, and goodbye. Yes, thank you. Bye. We will see you. <laughs> Any- bye bye. Next time. Anyone have a have a sign off? Not yet. Well, I was thinking, we'll figure it out. like in Weird Sisters, when they do, when shall we three meet again? And then like, oh, uh, how oh, about next we, Tuesday? When, shall we, when will we four meet again? <laughs> Lightning, winter, and rain. Oh Under. God, nobody knows. No one reads Shakespeare <laughs> anymore. When shall we three meet again in lightning, thunder, and rain? When the hurly-burly's done and the battle's lost and won? That should be ere the set of sun, where the place upon the heath, there to meet Macbeth. You're such a nerd. Nobody, re- Nobody reads Shakespeare, Charlotte. It's dead. It's- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I It's so that. 1590s. Okay. Yeah, well, that was my era, you know? That's when I remember being happy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Uh... And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Staring out through ancient eyes Out of nowhere Into nowhere Through a billion stars